Listener supported. WNYC Studios. From WNYC Studios, it's Brian Lehrer, a daily politics podcast. It's Monday, August 15th. We'll begin today by talking about that fateful search warrant, that no-knock raid that increasingly looks like an abuse of power by law enforcement and the state. Did you hear about it? It turns out the search warrant was obtained from a judge under false pretenses. It turns out they lied to the judge. About what? Well, they lied about knowing that packages that could be drugs were being delivered to the home. According to the Washington Post, a detective in the case will plead guilty next week to conspiring with another officer to include false information in the affidavit, including the claim that a postal inspector had verified that a suspect in a drug investigation was receiving packages at the rated address. Well, if you're a little confused, here's why. That's not about the search warrant for Mar-a-Lago, of course. We'll get to that one in a minute. It's about the news that broke this weekend, but got much less media attention about a detective who obtained a warrant to search the home of Breonna Taylor, the search that led to her death by police gunfire in her Louisville, Kentucky home in 2020. Apparently, there was no postal inspector who said packages were being recently delivered to Breonna Taylor's boyfriend there. The guilty plea by the detective, acknowledges that the detective, named Kelly Goodlett, lied to a judge about that in order to obtain the warrant that led to the no-knock raid that left Ms. Taylor dead. As the Washington Post reminds us, Taylor, 26, was killed when plainclothes police officers burst into her apartment to carry out a search warrant in a drug probe. Kenneth Walker, Taylor's boyfriend, fired one shot with his legally owned gun, striking an officer in the leg. He later said he did not realize the people who entered the apartment were law enforcement officers. Several officers shot back, killing Breonna Taylor. By the way, no drugs and no drug money were found by the police in Breonna Taylor's apartment. Now an officer will reportedly plead guilty to obtaining the warrant on false pretenses and then trying to cover that up with another lie after the fact. It's the first conviction in connection with Breonna Taylor's death. Other charges are pending. Maybe you didn't hear that story over the weekend as it didn't get a whole lot of play. Now about that other search warrant that was made public on Friday, about that search that Donald Trump was able to watch as it happened on closed-circuit surveillance cameras, according to his lawyer, in the safety of his office building a thousand miles away. Let's get the latest. As with us now is Ellie Honig, CNN senior legal analyst, former federal and state prosecutor, host of the podcast Up Against the Mob, and author of the book Hatchet Man, How Bill Barr Broke the Prosecutor's Code and Corrupted the Justice Department. Ellie, thanks for starting the week with us. Welcome back to WNYC. Thanks, Brian. Always glad to be with you. I know we have a lot to discuss here. Yeah. And let me start with a couple of very basic questions that I think remain unanswered. Why and how was Trump allowed to take highly classified documents home to Mar-a-Lago when he left office in the first place? Isn't there a protocol during the departure of a president for checking things like that? Well, they're supposed to be, Brian, and I can't answer that question. I think you've identified what one of the biggest, most fundamental questions. I think the two biggest questions here are how on earth 
did Donald Trump or his people or whoever packed him up walk out of the White House with a couple dozen, at least we now know, boxes? And the second big question is what exactly was in those boxes? We do now, though, have a little bit of a better sense because on Friday, the court officially released some of the documents relating to the search. Not all, not the big one. The big one is the affidavit. That's where DOJ lays out chapter and verse on their probable cause that crimes were committed. But we did see the property receipt, for example. And I think the biggest news at all of that property receipt were that many of the documents, some of the documents were classified and not just classified, there's four different levels of classification. Um, all four levels of classification were included, including the top level, top secret SCI, which is secure compartmented information. So not only was there classified information in those boxes or information marked classified, but the highest level of classified information why Donald Trump thought he could take those, how he was allowed to, are, are some of the biggest questions that remain here. Yeah, well, one of my other basic questions is one that you just cited. Why would mm -hmm. Trump want these documents that are anywhere yeah. from secret to very top secret, only to be viewed in secure locations, nuclear weapons info, if the report is accurate in that way in the Washington Post, or any other classified information, what possible use would he have for it? Yeah, I mean, the, the possibilities there range uh, all through the human imagination. It could be anything from it was a mistake. I don't think that's the I think that's pretty clearly not the case now. Uh, it could be that there was just a sense of I'm taking that. That's mine. Uh, there have been stories of Donald Trump not exactly understanding in the past the distinction between something that is government property or White House property or executive branch property and something that he gets to take and keep as president. Uh, it could be he had bad motives. It could be he had illegal motives. It could be he had very dangerous motives. Um, but yeah, why? What, what on earth would motivate him to take these documents? And what was he planning to do with those? We still have very little reliable indication on those questions. Well, is anyone doing a damage assessment, Ellie? Like, has Trump shared classified information with anyone he shouldn't? Putting any right. U.S. intelligence sources abroad at risk of retribution? Or has he allegedly done anything with this information other than keep them as a bar collection, bizarre collection of White House souvenirs at Mar-a-Lago? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that's one of the main questions we need to know. It, it, look, it's it's really bad it, that these documents ever were sitting at a resort in Florida. Uh, but it's even worse if there's some evidence that they, these documents got out of that complex, got out of that building and were, were shared in any way, were disseminated in any way, were destroyed, altered, tampered with, all these. Uh, any of those possibilities, I think, substantially ups the ante here. Um, we don't know. What we do know, Brian, though, is there did come a breaking point for DOJ. We know that there came a point, and this was on the day they did the search warrant, where they just said enough is enough, because it's important to remember, DOJ tried to do this the nice way, the easy way. They asked, well, first of all, archive, the National Archives requested and tried to get some of the documents back, and Donald Trump's people sent 15 documents back to the archives. Turned out, though, there were others that they did not send. And that's a big question I have, by the way. Who made the decision and why? Let's send the archives these 15 boxes, but not these boxes over here. When DOJ got involved, they had meetings with Donald Trump's people. They brought a subpoena. That's the easy way. That's just a piece of paper that says, okay, Donald Trump or your people, you are now to hand us over these documents. And even after after that, the reporting is that DOJ learned that there were still documents and still classified documents at Mar-a-Lago. And at that point, they went and got the search warrant. So I I'm wondering what it was that pushed DOJ to the point where they felt they 
needed to right. do a search warrant. One and, of the possibilities is mm -hmm. that maybe they had evidence that some of those documents were being moved around. Maggie Haberman in the New York Times has some new reporting to that effect. Moved around how? Uh, her reporting, I don't want to get it wrong. I just heard her say it this morning and I, I saw it on CNN, but that they had evidence that documents were being taken in and out of certain rooms within Mar-a-Lago, if I understand the reporting right. correctly. Not that it was being, not that any documents were being taken out of the entire Mar-a-Lago complex. Still, right. though, cause for concern. Yeah. Although about the seriousness and the judgment behind conducting this particular search, I am still scratching my head to some degree. Like this issue of the documents is new to most Americans in the last week, I think, even though it's been going on between the Trump uh, between Trump and the government since he left office. Mostly yeah. when the public has been thinking about, you know, egregious things Trump may have done. It's been in connection with the big lie in January 6th, all the things the January 6th committee has been presenting about trying to subvert the peaceful transition of power, which seems so much more serious than keeping boxes of papers at his home and not doing anything with them as far as we know. And yet this is what prompted the Justice Department to risk inflaming the violent extremists and inflaming politics generally even more, rather than save their fire for charging Trump with dereliction of duty, maybe for allowing a riot to go on in his name when he had the power to call it off or anything else related to that. I'm not sure I understand the judgment that sent this to the head of the class when the Justice yeah, it, Department probably had to be very selective in when to provoke the bear. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. And one of the things that's really interesting and that people need to keep in mind, this search for the documents at Mar-a-Lago, has nothing to do on the surface, or I think probably even beneath the surface, with January 6th. I mean, there perhaps could be some documentation in these boxes that relates to January 6th. That's possible. But that's not the purpose, by, based on any reporting and based on the court documents, for this search. And I, I've done the same math as you. I've tried to get inside Merrick Garland's head here. Now, the thing to keep in mind is the January 6th prosecution, or excuse me, well, there are prosecutions, but not of Donald Trump yet or anyone in power. But mm -hmm. the, the January 6th investigation is sort of a traditional DOJ criminal investigation. And what you have to do is the AG is sit down at a certain point and decide, does the evidence here merit a charge? The situation in Mar-a-Lago is very unusual because, yes, at some point, I'm sure Merrick Arlo will have to make that same decision decision, but you also have an operational issue. You have documents out there on the loose in the world, and it wouldn't surprise me, and there's been reporting again to this effect, that part of the motivation for going into Mar-a-Lago was, we just need to get these things back for national security, but, and it's important to note this, a prosecutor, DOJ, FBI, cannot just go to a judge and say, hey judge, uh, there's these documents out there that we need to get back for national security security. You have to allege and you have to prove by probable cause, lower standard than beyond a reasonable doubt, a specific federal crime. DOJ did that here with respect to three crimes, which we can get into detail if you want. Uh, but it's important to know, again, this does not mean anyone will be charged necessarily with those crimes, sometimes search warrants or predecessors to indictments, but certainly not always. Also an important detail, DOJ's papers do not say, and, and typically search warrant papers would not say, uh, judge, we believe this person, Donald J. Trump in this case, has committed a crime. They say simply, we believe that these crimes were committed, have occurred. So we will see. There's a chance, Brian, that nothing else happens on this in terms of on the record, uh, you know, docket sheet coming through the courts. 
um, unless and until someone gets charged with something. At that point, we will get a lot more information. The New York Times reported, and you mentioned that there are three particular crimes that they're investigating, potential crimes that they're investigating to see if they were committed. The Times reported that even if Trump did declassify these documents before he left office, as he claims, none of the three potential crimes cited by the department in seeking the warrant depend on whether a mishandled document had been deemed classified. Do you understand that? Like, what would these crimes around handling documents that are not classified be? Sure. So that is correct. Um, There are many federal criminal statutes that relate to whether the document is classified. They only apply to mishandling or destruction of classified documents. But there is a whole separate uh, sort of folders worth of federal crimes that apply to destruction or mishandling of documents, whether they are classified or not. So you and and to look at the warrant, the papers that came out on Friday, the three listed crimes here have all three of them have nothing to do with whether the documents were ever classified or declassified. So it's a smart move. I don't know whether DOJ did that on purpose or not, uh, but it's a smart move. The three crimes they do list, I'll just tick through them quickly. First one, What's grabbing a lot of attention is the first one is part of the Espionage Act. Now, you hear that word, espionage, and you think of what? James Bond and Jason Bourne, right? Um, Mm. There are versions and variations of espionage in the law that do relate to extremely dramatic activity, selling secrets to other countries, spying on the United States. But the provision that they cite here really relates to mishandling of defense information. That's still a very big deal. But essentially, the crime is to conceal or take or disseminate uh, or destroy documents that relate to the national defense and could impact national security. That's very serious, but it's not necessarily 007 spycraft type of stuff. The second crime here is destruction of federal government documents. It doesn't matter if they're classified. If you take something that's an official federal uh, government document and you destroy it or remove it or conceal it, that's a federal crime. And and a little footnote on that one, Brian, if a person is charged and convicted with that particular crime, the law says they're actually disqualified from ever holding federal office again, including the presidency. But let me drop a footnote. It's not clear whether that provision of the law is actually constitutional. It certainly would be litigated. We can talk about that more if you want. The third crime is obstruction. And that basically means, and I think this is actually one of the more interesting crimes here, that essentially means that they remove the documents or handle the documents in some sort of way intended to keep them out of the hands of investigators. This could refer to the way the documents were uh, being moved around within Mar-a-Lago. It could refer to the removal of documents to Mar-a-Lago in the first place. But yes, indeed, uh, if prosecutors charge those three crimes, they wouldn't ever even have to get into the issue of whether these documents were declassified. That third one, obstruction, is the one that makes my eyebrows go up the highest and make me think, hmm, I wonder what's Mm -hmm. really there. Because I tend to think what would make this document hoarding the most serious offense would be Trump trying to hide something that incriminates him in some way. Remember the Mueller investigation, the Russia investigation, the most serious thing that they found was multiple, like 10 examples of Trump trying to obstruct the investigation. So maybe he's trying to obstruct the investigation of January 6th or something else, because if all he has is information that does not incriminate him, even national security secrets that he already knew about as president anyway, people could ask, why is it such a big deal? 
Yeah. Well, whether the inv- information incriminates him or not, and that, that is one of, of course, the possibilities. But whether he has it or not, I think I think that DOJ and national security apparatus would be concerned about this because the information definitionally impacts national security in order to be classified. The law says essentially these documents have to, to varying degrees, impact national security. And, and Brian, I do want to stress this: TSSCI, that is the highest level of classification. I mean, that is very serious stuff. Even as a federal prosecutor, I never had that level of clearance. I, I wasn't doing terrorism cases. Um, I had top secret clearance, but not top secret SCI. So, so by definition, those documents are vital to national security and their loss or dissemination outside of the government would put us at risk. The Trump people argue that, from what we know, there is no potential crime here worth actually charging him with, according to the standards set by the Hillary Clinton emails investigation in 2016. As you remember, the FBI director, James Comey, concluded that in placing her government emails on her private server, she handled classified material in an extremely careless way. That was Comey's language, extremely careless, but with no criminal intent and no harm done to national security in reality. Do you think this is different or is it fundamentally the same as far as we know? Extremely careless handling of classified information, but with no nefarious intent as far as we know, so it doesn't rise to the level of a crime? Well, I think it's clear that this is extremely careless. That much I think we can take to the bank. Um, But the, the key distinguishing factor here or not is going to be intent. Um, the, the FBI, James Comey's conclusion with respect to Hillary Clinton was that she did not have criminal intent. She was careless, handled things in a way she should not have. Um, the question with the, with these documents is, was there some intent either to obstruct an investigation, to take these documents out of the hands of investigators, to, God forbid, do something worse with them, to disseminate them, to put them out there, to endanger us? Um, we don't know that yet, um, but I think that's one of the big questions that will determine whether this is similar or dissimilar to Hillary Clinton. I mean, I understand why a lot of people are sort of looking at that. And there are some uh, certainly some similarities. I mean, in a way, just taking these documents and keeping them at Mar-a-Lago with nothing more is the low tech version of what Hillary Clinton did, which is taking these classified documents or excuse me, you know, using electronic means to transmit and and discuss certain classified documents. But the question is, did Donald Trump have intent that was more or worse than that. Yeah. And I saw a Republican congressman on your network CNN yesterday mm-hmm. saying this is yeah. potentially less serious than what Hillary Clinton did because with electronic transfer, there were ongoing transfers of classified material that would theoretically have been vulnerable to hacking. With this, it's boxes of physical papers sitting in some closets in Mar a Lago. Meh. Yeah, that, that's an interesting point. I saw that interview as well with Brianna Keeler uh, and the representative Turner. Um, that's an interesting point. Um, but I, I, I guess, you know, on the other hand, uh, paper documents can be disseminated. They can be copied. They can be photographed. And, and you sure as heck would not, under any circumstances, argue that they are being kept securely down at Mar-a-Lago. But yeah, there, there, there are distinctions here that sort of uh, counsel both ways, not to quote both ways this, but it's not just a, it's none of this is black and white. And there's still so much that we don't know about the Mar-a-Lago situation. Listener asks on Twitter, and then I'm going to elaborate on this for a question for you. Listener asks, if the Republicans want the warrant affidavit, why yeah. don't they just make a motion to unseal it? They would lose. Uh, 
But let me, for listeners who don't know the difference between a search warrant and a search warrant affidavit, come back to this a little bit. I mentioned it in the intro. Um, But what about the affidavit that the FBI had to file with the court requesting the search warrant that gives the details as to why? Now, that's where the detective pleading guilty in the Breonna Taylor case committed a crime, falsifying evidence in the affidavit to get the judge to approve a search warrant. So can you explain the difference between the two, search warrant and affidavit anymore, and can we see the affidavit? Yeah, that's a great question by by the listener there. So the documents that we saw on Friday are essentially formal checklists. They amounted to seven pages total. That is what we call, first of all, the receipt for property, and second of all, the search warrant itself. There's only sort of chunks of information, much of it general in there. The big one, the one that you really want to see if you want to understand what's going on here is the affidavit. And that is the document, I've done more of these than I can count, that a prosecutor has to sit down and type out to the judge, okay, here is the basis for probable cause. Here's our evidence. It's essentially a narrative statement of the case. Those can be 20 pages, 40 pages. In the Michael Cohen case, they ended up being 200 pages. So this will tell us many, many times more than what we know already. But here's the thing. That document, only two groups of people in the world right now have access to that document. The prosecutors and D- at DOJ and the judge. And it's under seal with the judge, with the court, meaning it's not available to the public. Donald Trump does not have that document and he would not get it. Nobody would get that document in the normal course unless and until there's an indictment. If there's an indictment based on something they found at Mar-a-Lago, prosecutors would then turn that affidavit over to whoever gets charged so that that person could challenge the warrant, Brian, just like you said, maybe Mm -hmm. argue there's false information in here. It does not establish probable cause. There were other sort of technical defects with it. I should note there are pending lawsuits right now under FOIA, the Freedom of Information Act, to try to get this very document, the affidavit filed by various media companies, including my own, where I work, CNN, um, asking the judge to unseal this this document. I will just say, and some lawmakers have called for it to be unsealed. I'll say this. Given the track record that those motions are very unlikely to be granted, and I don't know that either side, Donald Trump or DOJ, would want this unsealed. DOJ certainly would not want it unsealed because it would completely expose their investigation. It would say it could reveal who their informant are who their sources are this is an ongoing criminal investigation brian the last thing you ever wanted to do is show show the other side your playbook there's a reason nfl coaches don't share their playbook with with the guy across the other sideline and i wonder if Uh, we're in a catch-22 situation where the reason they asked for the search was because trump had highly sensitive classified information and the reason they won't be able to tell us the reason is because it's such (laughs) highly sensitive classified information yeah it could be and and again this is a pending criminal investigation and by the way you know, this also protects the accused. I mean, let's take ourselves for a moment out of the Donald Trump frame of reference. Imagine, I mean, DOJ is investigating surely thousands, probably tens of thousands of people right now. And they I'm sure they did a hundred other search warrants on Monday. Imagine if those affidavits became public. These are people who have not yet been charged with any crime. And we'd be putting documents out there in, in the public realm saying, well, we haven't charged John Doe with a crime, but here's a whole long explanation of why we think he might have committed one. I mean, that would be unfair yeah, to John unfair Doe. To now, defend it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. To so a, we're protecting a person both who's not even a defendant, not charged with yeah, a crime. Exactly. 
Trump's defenses are contradictory. On the one hand, he says he would have given them anything they asked for, so no search warrant was needed. And at the same time, he says he doesn't have to return any classified documents because he declassified them before leaving office. Those things can't both be true. Um, But I want to ask you one last thing before you go. We're almost out of time. About your book, Hatchet Man, about William Barr. How much does it change your view of him that he testified before the January 6th committee that he called the stolen election claim BS and went into detail on the record. This is one of my favorite moments from the whole January 6th committee presentations. People don't talk about it much. He went into excruciating detail on the record, debunking some of the specific theories that Trump world was floating about how the election was stolen. Yeah, he was a he was a very interesting witness. I was sort of shocked to to sit there watching him testify. How much credit do I give him? I do give him some credit. I don't think everything's black and white. I don't think you have to brand someone a sinner or a saint. Um, I, I think his entire most of his tenure as attorney general was disastrous. I think he was dishonest. I think he bailed Donald Trump out of certainly the Mueller investigation in, in a way that was completely unjustified and dishonest. Um, and I do note with Bill Barr, one thing that does get washed over a bit, and Bill Barr likes to encourage us to forget this, is that in the months leading up to the election, Bill Barr was one of the biggest proponents of the lie about the threat of election fraud. I mean, mm. he, he went on NPR. And he made all these outrageous comments and NPR issued an article a couple days later entitled something like NPR allowed the attorney general to tell falsehoods on Mm. our air. He came on CNN. He lied to Wolf Blitzer about a case involving 1700 false ballots that actually involved one false ballot. One. He went in front of Congress. So how does it hang together with what he told the committee? Well, I, I, he changed. I mean, for whatever reason, he changed his tune. Uh, he may have been willing to go on these national media networks in front of Congress and say, well, there's a threat. I mean, you're always sort of hedging, I guess, if you say there's a threat. This could happen. But I think when it got to this point, when Donald Trump was pushing an outright factual objective fabrication – that everyone's got their breaking point. And Bill Barr, for whatever reason, maybe personal reasons, maybe professional, maybe good, maybe bad, decided enough's enough. And I'm not willing to go that far. And for that reason, I do give Bill Barr credit for that, but I'm not willing to absolve him altogether. Ellie Honig, CNN senior legal analyst, former New Jersey and federal prosecutor, and author of Hatchet Man, How Bill Barr Broke the Prosecutor's Code and Corrupted the Justice Department. Ellie, thank you so much. Thanks a lot, Brian. Brian Lehrer, A Daily Politics Podcast, is an excerpt from my live daily radio show, The Brian Lehrer Show, on WNYC Radio, 10 a.m. to noon Eastern Time, if you want to listen live at WNYC.org. Thanks for listening today. Talk to you next time.